Okay, so this morning we are continuing on. This is going to be our second sermon on marriage. And everything that I'm going to say today about marriage um, comes from my definition of marriage from last week. So the the text is actually Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. If you want to turn there with me, I'll read it for us if I can find where Galatians is. Clearly, my preparations for ordination are going well, since I can find Galatians. Chapter 6, verse 1, this is what it says. Now, what I, I want us to, if, as much as we can, remember the context of what Eric read for us today. Okay? Paul wants us to understand what walking by the Spirit means and what walking by the flesh means, and then he wants us to apply it. Um, this is for me, it, it, I was thinking about it this week. You know, when I, when I come up here, it's my job in one sense to tell you guys to read your Bibles more and to, and to pray more. And sometimes I actually think people think I say that because it's my job to say it. <laughs> but, but what we're going to look at today is there's, there are actual practical reasons for doing so. Right? It's not just something that I'm supposed to say because, the, um, the church writes checks to me and that's my job. Right? <laughs> I would do it for that reason, but there's so much more of a reason for doing it. It, it really is a matter of, of life and death, right? One of the things that I have been astounded by ever since I became a Christian is, is the life and death of the gospel every day. And I'm really just as astounded by that today as I was when I was converted. It, it's, it's not just a philosophy. I, I'm, with, I'm with Jared. I, I wasted a lot of money. Uh, on my AA was actually in philosophy. My undergrad degree, my minor was in philosophy. And this is not just philosophy. This isn't just ideas. This is a matter of life and death. It's a matter of life and death for marriages. And, and that's why we're talking about this. And if you go to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, uh, you're wondering, how is this? I, lo- I love in premarital counseling classes where I tell the, uh, the, the happy couple who just want to talk about cake and what the dress is going to look like, and I have them turn to verses like this, and they think we're going to turn to some, like, you know, marriage verses. I'm like, no, let's go to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, and it reads, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you, too, be tempted. And I love the young couple is always like, what is the... Like, what transgression? What are you talking? Have you met her? She's perfect. <laughs> now, and my my wife uh, had been a Christian for many years, um, and and I remember early on, uh, I, and I I tell this joke, but it's not actually, it, it, I, I'm not making this up. I remember like the first time I was like, you 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 just sinned. <laughs> And so I understand young couples, especially coming from as dark as my background had been. It took quite a while for me to catch up and, and be able to call uh, the strike a strike on my wife. It took quite, a, quite some time. And, and actually, it made life a lot more difficult. It was a lot easier when I just had to keep track of my own sins. Once I had to start keeping track of hers. <laughs> and you got to be careful when you're telling stories, um, when you're preaching and telling stories about your family. On, on Tuesday, I, I, we were eating dinner, and my, one of my sons was glaring at me from across the table. And I said, you know, what, what's going on? He said, I can't believe you made her cry. I'm like, Who, what are you talking about? He goes, you made mom cry over the color of her cupboards, which was a story I told last week, right? <laughs> 
And they're like, we never heard that story. What's wrong with you? <laughs> but I mean, that, that, that I mean, it, yeah, yeah. It's, I'm glad that my, my son, who I will rem- I, he's young, but I, I'm glad that he understands how sinful that was and, and versus that day where I just walk in there and I'm like, are you blind? Did, did a blind person paint these covers? Anyway, he's doing much better than I was doing. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity, Lord God, um, to winsomely and joyously deal with life and death. Uh, Christ on the cross is not a joke, but he did, in fact, hold um, our enemies in derision on the cross. Uh, there, there is no tragedy. There is no tragedy that overcomes us in, in the light of the eternal reality of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Our, our lives to us seem so, so deep and dark and difficult and, and tangled. But, but the simple truth is that you loved us enough to die for us, and, and that gives us reasons to love one another, gives us the opportunity to love you, gives us the opportunity to stay in fellowship, gives us the opportunity to delight, to delight in one another, and in our marriages, and in our children. And we thank you for that, Lord God. We thank you for that grace and kindness. And we pray that as we dis- discuss heavy things here today, that we keep in mind the fact that um, even though the, the cross was dark, it, it was you laughing at the world. And, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, dealing with sin is at the heart of marriage. Therefore, the ministry of reconciliation is the heart of marriage. The reason for this we discussed last week. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 through 32 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now, from there, you can go in a lot of different directions in, in the categories of Christology. You can talk about the incarnation. You can talk about humility. You can talk about uh, oneness. You can talk about... Um, all kinds of things. But what we're going to talk about today, what does the gospel have to do with marriage is this. Jesus died to save sinners. (laughs) And and sinners get married. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) Sinners get married. I, I have never sat down with any married couple where one of them was not a rampant sinner. I'm married. I am a sinner. I'm married to a sinner. We laugh at that, but it is actually shocking how often we forget that, how often most people who are married forget that. Uh, as Doug Wilson likes to say, the only tone that you can't hear is your own. The only face you can't see when you're arguing is yours. <laughs> and, and if we could do both of those things, I think, I think we would be quite humbled, right? What, what, do, you, what do you mean, my tone? I, all I said was we're having spaghetti tonight? Right? But if you say that, we are having sp- spaghetti tonight? We're having spaghetti tonight? <laughs> right? It's amazing how uh, the, the longer you know someone, the longer you're married, it, the, the ease with which you can sin is just shocking. It's like, it, it's like all i got to do at some point is raise my eyebrows the wrong way and I'm sinning. <laughs> because right when you get to know someone in marriage, you get really close you get to know each other really well. You get very intimate, and it takes nanoseconds. Nanoseconds. Marriage problems reveal that the people believe more in their frailty and their inability than in God. 
Marriage problems reveal a lack of faith in the goodness of God. Marriage problems reveal pride and autonomy, selfishness, and sensuality. Because when pressure comes, when pressure comes, the fruit of what we really believe about God and his gospel is revealed. It's not about what we affirm in the bright noonday sun. It's whether we remember in the dark what we learned in the light. Here you all are. You look fantastic. It's Sunday morning. Everybody's got the best duds on. Nobody's screaming at their wife. No wife is mocking her husband that I can see from standing up here. But right, but later today, you're going to go home, and he's going to take his socks, and he's going to put them right next to the basket on the floor and not in the basket. Right? At that moment, it's much harder to be a Christian. <laughs> here, it's a lot easier. You go home, right, and there's the toilet paper roll empty, and the, the lug head did not change it out, and there you go, try to be a Christian then. <laughs> I'm, I'm always dissing the dudes. But ladies, it's also true, right? It, this is a street that goes both ways. It's very easy. To look at her. She's so pretty. She's so great. I love my wife. And, and then you go home, and she's on Instagram. And you got a big business meeting, and you got to have the pants, and you're like, I'm, I'm not really sure what to do here. I live in a modern world. Put the phone down and iron my pants seems like something that would be a, very problematic to say <laughs> in this day and age. But this is what I find. This is, I, I hope to write a book on this someday. You know, divorce isn't as, as bad as people think it is amongst Bible-believing Christians. It really isn't. People who really believe in the gospel, it, it's not as big a problem, right? This whole 50% of Christians get divorced, 50% of the world get that's all actual nonsense, okay? Now, there are a lot of people who, who have that, you know, they have the cultural Christian thing down. They've got the we show up on Easter thing down. The, the Census Bureau comes to their house by the government, and they mark down Protestant. And a lot of those people have a lot of marriage problems. But people who really believe the gospel, who really, really believe the gospel, actually do not have as big a problem with divorces as the world would have you think. But what I, I, I guarantee you, is that when it really comes down to it and it's time to get a divorce, one or both parties are not Christians. And in my, when it comes down to it and I've got to say, yeah, this person just doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. And, and that has been very shocking to me. Right? There, for, for us, there really aren't irre irreconcilable differences. Thank you, Tim. She's mouthing the word to me. Thank you. You taught fifth grade or something, didn't you? Yeah, there you go. Right? What? What that you, right? You know everything that you've been forgiven. And, when it, and if, when it really comes down to believing that, what can't you forgive? And so often, that's marriage is what really reveals, really reveals what people believe about the gospel and don't believe about the gospel. It, it's almost the test. You can say everything you want about Jesus. You can say whatever you want about sin. You can say whatever you want that sounds very Christian, that is like, check the box. This is what I'm supposed to say. This is good theology. But when it comes down to it, and there's you and your spouse, now we're going to see what you really believe. Right? Are you really a raging sinner? <laughs> Are you married to a raging sinner? Does Jesus cover all sins? All of them all of them, or doesn't he? 
right? This is, <laughs> you're sitting around having tea, having coffee with your spouse. You're, you guys are out to dinner. You're riding in the car, right? And, 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 and that day-to-day thing that you're doing with them every day is what reveals what you really believe about the gospel or not. Because this is, I, I almost invariably have to ask this question for people who are having marriage problems. Does the gospel change people? Does it? Does it actually have the power to change people? Okay, so you guys aren't changing. So let's talk about where the breakdown is. You believe in the gospel and she believes in the gospel. And if the gospel really changes people, okay, somewhere in this equation then we have a problem. Right? And, and, and most couples do this. Oh, okay, I now see what the problem is. Well, it's even worse when they're both doing that. And then you're like, okay, where do I start? Where do I start? There's a lot of clutter here. A lot of clutter. Change is the primary outworking of the gospel. Now, when I got married, there actually was a lot of change. Um, you know, for, for both husband and wife, you change your name, you change your address, you change your bank account. There's a ton of change when you get married, and that continues to go on for quite a while. And, and I think that that change, all of that change, people kind of lose the fact that what's really supposed to be changing is your heart. You're like, wow, I mean, change, yeah, there's been tons of change. Nothing's the same. Um, okay, N- none of the outward things are the same. But what's going, are you changing inside, inside your own heart? I understand that now there's five of you where there used to just be, you know, there was one and then there was two and then you had kids. And, 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 and what's changed is how much groceries you have to buy, how much food you have to make, how much money you have to make, how many cars you have. Lots of things change, and people get confused. All that external change, they equate with internal change. And this is a very subtle thing, right? Yeah, I, I, may, right? I make more money. Yeah, you had to make more money. But what does that have to do with your heart? What does that have to do with your willingness to lay down your life? Was that directly connected with all of these external changes? Marriage reveals hypocrisy better than anything else. Child-rearing comes very close, but that's a sermon for another day. Marriage reveals hypocrisy. Marriage is street-level theology. Dave Harvey, in a book called When Sinners Say I Do, this is what he writes. Guys, the, the radiant woman on whose finger you slipped that wedding ring, sinner. Ladies, the man who offered you a vow of perfect faithfulness and lifelong sacrifice, sinner. Sinner. (laughs) In ceremonies all over the world, every day, without exception, it is sinners who say, I do. It's sinners who celebrate their 10th anniversary, their 20th, their 50th. The daily struggle with sin experienced by genuine Christians underscores the fact that while Christ certainly saved us, he does not transform us instantly and completely into non-sinners. That glorious process begins the moment we are converted and continues throughout our life on earth, but it will only be finished when we leave this fallen world. What, What happens and is so subtle is that over a lot of years of marriage, we get used to the sin that our spouse commits. we actually get used to more of it than we confront. What, what ends up happening to most people isn't this, this relationship where, where you have all this honesty and trust, 
and humility, where you're really working on one another, really confronting the sin in one another, what generally happens, generally for all of us, is that we just get used to it. We just get used to it. He is a loudmouth. He was a loudmouth 10 years ago. He's a loudmouth now, and I don't really see any end in it. Yeah, she gossips and gossips and gossips. I've always known her to be a gossip. When we were in high school, she gossiped. When we were in college, she gossiped. She gossips now. I mean, just, you know, I love her the way she is. (laughs) I said I do, and so I'll take her as she is, and here's the baggage now. Right? And that's what you start to hear over years and years. They just got used to it. So you sit down with couples, and you're like, you know, the problem here is that you've forgotten what the gospel is. And the gospel is you don't stay the same. The gospel is you change. Yeah, you were a drunkard, and then you're supposed to stop being a drunkard. You were a gossip, and you're supposed to stop being a gossip. But what happens, and this sermon has a lot to do with just Christian community, because the reason that we do it in our community in general is we just get used to how obnoxiously sinful people are. It's because it's what we're doing at home in our own marriages. I, I, I know all kinds of people who say they are Christians, who have no idea how to confront... Sometimes I'm shocked by the sin that I commit that nobody says anything. (laughs) There have been times where I'm like, man, I just stand and everyone's just standing there looking at me. Has that ever happened to you? Really, is anyone going to... I'm almost more alarmed that no one said anything than I committed the sin. I just said that word, and there were five guys there, and nobody said, hey, why are you talking that way? I am frankly shocked by that. But then you go into people's homes, and, and what you see is like, my goodness, he just, she just talked to him that way. And if they're going to do that when there's five couples sitting in the room, whoa, what are they going to do when I'm not sitting here? Have you, guys ever, have you ever been there? When there's a couple who can't even stop fighting long enough for you to sit through dinner with them? And I'm like, holy moly. If it is this bad and I'm sitting here and they know I'm a church officer, holy moly, there are problems in this house. And then what? I go home. Right? And, and we wonder where the deep, soul-searching, neighbor-loving community is. We can't even do it in our own marriages. How are we going to expect to do it with one another? Right? This is the honest truth. What is so much lacking in, in, in our community, it, we lack it because we do, we're not doing it in the central training ground, which is our own marriages. Change is the point. Confronting sin is the point. Jesus didn't die, right, just so he could get a new body. He didn't die so that we could go to heaven when we die. He died so that every day you can die. Right? That it, don't, don't listen to that nonsense about, well, he died so that you could live. Not true. He died so that you could die. Yeah? He lives now so that you can live. And, 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 I, and <laughs> it's not like most of us are like, hey, stop robbing banks. Stop child trafficking. It's not that kind of sin. Right? Most of our lives, it's not that kind of sin. And we think, okay, well, it's not that kind of sin, so the gospel doesn't really have anything to do with my everyday life. But, but we need to see the big stuff and the little stuff. Right? He, let, let, let's do this. Here we go. This is one Dean pulled on me years ago. Let, let's just talk about the gospel in this. 
There's a pile of steaks on your table. You cook them. Big pile of steaks. There's the husband at the head of the table, and he makes sure he gets the biggest one. Right? Jesus came to die for that kind of selfishness. Because there's all the kids watching, there's the wife, and that guy cares more about himself than he does everybody else. He's going to take the biggest portion for himself. And you're thinking, oh man, that is... That guy is preaching some Phariseeism if I've ever heard it. <laughs> but, but what does that demonstrate? The husband who never opens the door for his wife is the husband who's going to do a lot worse than that. And, and I will take, right? I, I will accept anyone to come and sit and watch some counseling with me. And you're like, man, this gnarl, like, this other woman, let's talk about this other woman that you can't get over. He can't, right? But he's been setting his own wife aside to seek his own pleasure, and it started when he took the biggest steak at the dinner table. It started when he, he would prefer to buy himself the nice new car, right? And then you go to that level. And then you go to another level. And then you go to another level. And before you know it, you're sitting there and you want a divorce. And, and, you, <laughs> and if you think I am exaggerating, I am not exaggerating. Going to be with Jesus in the end is a long obedience in the same direction. Now, people do not just commit adultery overnight. People do not just suddenly commit fraud. That is a long disobedience in the same direction. Because Paul is very clear. There's two ways. You walk by the Spirit or you walk by the flesh. And the walking by the flesh is a path that takes you in a particular direction. Walking by the Spirit is a path that takes you in a very different direction. So if you've got a husband who cannot die to his big sins, it's because he never died to his little ones. You have a wife there who cannot forgive him. How dare you look at pornography? Are you out of your mind? Do you know who you're married to? Right? And you have all this fury and rage. And it's like, have you... I, now, actually, I'm a little curious. Have you ever forgiven him for anything? Because the Bible is crystal clear about this. You cannot show up on the big day when it's the big test, when it's the big test of your faith, the big test of the gospel... And you're not going to succeed if you didn't succeed with all the tiny little tests leading up to it. There's just no two ways about it. And, 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 and at times, I'll be honest, some of the frustration in my ministry is just getting people to see this. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be overbearing. But people don't understand you, you, do, you sin here, and you don't say anything, and they don't say anything, and then, and then it adds up. And then, add, and then you add another one. 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 And when you've got a dump truck full, you show up at a minister's office hoping that he's going to untangle it all. And you're like, okay, well, I mean, at this point, let's just take the engine out. Of, let's just disable the truck. And let's just pour gas all over the truck and just burn the truck down. Like, unless you can, guys can just die to yourselves right now, because I, no one can untangle the mess you've made. And they're like, are you kidding me? I can't die to this. Do you have any idea what I have been through? Do you have any idea what he is like? No. Do you know what you're like? Right? You cannot show up on the big test day, right? Who, who shows up 
for the SATs, sits down with no prior education and, and gets a perfect score, even close to a perfect score. Why do we spend all those years <laughs> sending kids to school? All those years, right? Okay, uh, my son, it's time to learn how to read. Here is the Bible. Read it. Oh, man. Um, yeah, this is your test. If you want to graduate from homeschool, you've got to be able to read the whole thing right now out loud to me. Well, Dad, you never taught me how to read. Oh. Right? Is that, this is what I'm talking about. There's the day where you've got to die big, and you've never died small. <laughs> You're not going to die big. Now, how do you die small? How do you die in the little tiny things all along? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Now, here's my question. Have you ever been sitting there, and there's spousey, there's your friend, there's your coworker, there's your sibling, and boom, there's a sin. And, you, and, and the, look, at, look at, there you go again, just like yesterday. Just like last week, just like that time at your mom's, just like that time on vacation, right? I have literally, uh, my wife, I'll, I'll be honest, she said, and I'll be like, see, this is what I was talking about last week and a year ago. And you're like, okay. <laughs> and for weird moments, I hear myself, and you're like, what are you talking about? Like, I thought you said you forgave her for those things. So if you forgave her for those things, why suddenly when she commits a sin, is it like exhibit A and a long case that you have against them. You're clearly not keeping short accounts. Love doesn't keep a list of wrongs. It doesn't. So if the current sin is just the, the present example of a long list of things and that you can list, there is a serious problem in your house. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Now, Here's an example. Jesus says, I will remember your sins no more. Now, I thought that he was all-knowing. So what does it mean that he says he's not going to remember them? He knows everything. See, forgiveness is choosing to not remember. Right? There are sins that happen in your life, and there's no way that you're going to just forget them. I mean, I, I think what people want is, is just it's an unreasonable request. There's no way that you can wipe off certain sins from your mind. What you can do, though, is choose not to remember them. I'm going to actively not remember this. And that is actually what Jesus is doing. When he forgives us our sins, he puts them away in a box and locks them and says, I'm not opening the box. It's there. I know it. But I'm not going to remember it. I'm, going to, I'm choosing to forget it. <laughs> when have you ever showed up to Jesus' door? Right? You knock on his door and you're like, hey, Jesus, I can, listen, I send... He's like, oh, here we go again, just like yesterday, just like last week, just like you're going to do tomorrow. That, is that, what kind of gospel would it be if that was how we dealt with our sins? That'd be a nightmare. Right? He's like, okay, I remember, yeah. And then he lists the 1,300 other times you've committed that sin. All right, I guess I'll forgive you again. And some spouses, this is what it's like. Every time that thing pops up, then we got to have this, like, it's like you go into a museum and you're like, do you remember this display here? This was July 4th, 2014. You did exactly the same thing. Now we'll go over here. 
Remember this time right here? This was December 8th. Just last year. Still fresh. Still fresh in my mind. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. So what happens, though? What happens? <laughs> are we just, like, super quick to forgive all the time? Super, super quick all the time. We are just keeping short accounts. I send. I'm going to apologize right now. You send. I'm going to forgive you right now before you even ask me to forgive you because I love you so much. No. No, we see the sin. We wait for the repentance. It doesn't come. Things get quiet. You move on. You start talking about the shopping list. You're not really sure. Then you're unsettled. And you're like, okay, I'm a good Christian person who's read my Bible. Love covers multitude. And it does. Awesome. And if you say love covers a multitude and you don't remember the sin 20 minutes later, <laughs> then you're actually doing pretty good. You're on the right path. But if you have to keep telling yourself that love covers multitude of sins over the same sin, love's not going to cover it in that way. Right? We, we collect clutter. We collect clutter. That's what this is about. How do you declutter your marriage? Now, most of you have been to my home. Most of you know that my secret chain that isn't a secret is my garage. It is full of clutter. Full. And, and, and when I was preparing for the sermon, I was reading Doug's book about this, and it was hilarious that this was his example on Monday because I was going to clean the garage on Monday. But have you ever gone out to your garage and you open the door and you see it's just like, you're like, there's the last three years Christmas trees. There's like that stuff the neighbor gave us and the bikes I was going to, and, and, and the piles big and wide and deep, like the ocean. And you stand there for a little while and you look at the whole thing and you have no idea where to start. So you shut the garage door and you go in the house and you pray for a fire. <laughs> just please. Polly, you want to play with matches? <laughs> Now, I was reading that, and I thought, this is, this is the irony of, this is God's sense of humor. Because then Monday I went out, and I actually had to clean my garage. And I seriously thought about driving my car into it. You know, if I just drive my car right through, it would be such a disaster that we'd just have to get rid of all of it. But this is what marriages are like. I, I reference these things. It's true. I have been to someone's home where their house was very clean, but you could just sort of feel like you're walking... You know those people who collect a lot of stuff and there's like these little paths that go through their house? Right? Have you ever been to one of these homes? And you're like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it to the bathroom. Wish me luck. And you're like crawling through and there's all this stuff. Well, some marriages are this way. Uh, I, we're going to go very carefully now on the path that I've selected for you. <laughs> right through here down. No, don't go in that room. And, and this is what marriage, we collect ethical Clutter. We, coll we collect clutter of all kinds. Like I, I was talking about, here's all these newspapers from all these years. Just like here's all these sins that I know, right? i got to categorize everything. Here's all of your lies. I'm just going to set them here. And then here's all the, the times you gave me presents that were more about how fat I am than things I really wanted. I'm just going to keep all that stuff over in this room so I can review it later. And, and this is what our lives are like. Clutter. So how do you get out of the clutter? Now, if you were, like, just nailing marriage from day one, and you have no clutter now because you were just keeping such short accounts, amen. I guess you can listen to your Walkman or something. I don't think anyone in this room has done that, though. If you've been married for any length of time, though, there's all kinds of clutter. And so when you go out to the garage and, and, and you open the door, 
Underneath the Halloween costumes from two years ago, under the broken Christmas lights, you're not going to worry what's under that workbench under there. You're like, okay, I'm not really sure what's over in that corner. And this is exactly what decluttering your marriage is like. Right? I don't, I don't ever sit down with a couple and be like, okay, tell me what happened three years ago in the fall. <laughs> Let's go back. No. Right? When you go out to the garage... You just threw something onto the pile yesterday. So let's deal with that. Right? Oh, here it is right in front. And I'll just take this one. If you are going to declutter your marriage, deal with the thing that just happened this morning in the car on the way to church. Right? Deal with the thing that was said yesterday at the park. Deal with the thing that, that, that was done at so-and-so's house when you were supposed to be eating dinner there last week. Deal with the thing right on top. Deal with the thing right on top. And this is how you deal with it. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, what does it mean to be in a spirit of gentleness? Those who are spiritual should restore a person caught in sin. That's what it's saying. You catch someone in sin, and, and you've got to restore them now. So the person who's spiritual should do so. Now, there's a, so much here. What does it mean that they're caught in sin? What does it mean to restore them? Now, is restoring them an option or is restoring them a command? And what does it mean to be a spiritual person? Caught here literally means detected, overtaken, or surprised. Because this word appears in the passive voice in this context, it may connote the idea of surprise, right? <laughs> I like to surprise my wife with sins all the time. Most of them are exactly this way. Like, all of a sudden, there we are, and I just said that word. Like, what are you even doing over there, you idiot? Right? And there is sort of this air about it. Like, how many of us are like, you know what I'm going to do today? I, I am fresh. I'm ready. I have some coffee. And I'm going to commit, like, adultery in my mind. I'm going to say some swear words I'm not supposed to. I'm going to tell a lie about 4 o'clock. Like, nobody plans their sins this way. Well, well, I... I hope no one <laughs> By 3 o'clock today, I'm going to remind everyone I'm a reprobate. No. Nobody really just sets out on this journey. And, and, and this, is like, this, is, this is why I love this. Because how often do you think that your spouse was caught suddenly and unawares in sin? No, no, no. You've been planning that. You've been planning to say that dumb thing in front of my mom for weeks. You knew we were coming here. You planned this, didn't you? That's really what we think, isn't it? You've been planning to be a jerk since this morning when you woke up, didn't you? You jerk face. <laughs> we don't really talk to each other this way. This is what goes on in our heads, right? How often, when someone sins, you're like, yeah, I know that you have been planning this. But that's not really what happens. See, and, and, and if you automatically think that, you can understand that you're not a person who's spiritual who should be restoring them. Right? You're automatically showing your disqualification. Because people are caught in sins. Things happen where it's, no one is trying to be as sinful as possible. Nobody is trying to sin. Understanding that is fundamental. You, cut, you catch each other in sins. Now, what are sins? <laughs> right? Here's another one where people like to play dumb. Now, this is, this is, um, this is something that I had in the courthouse all the time. 
people drive by a school bus that has the stop sign out, and, and, and they installed cameras on them, and nobody knew that they did this. And so the people would come in and be like, I, I never saw a bus. I never saw it. I don't even know what a school bus is. And the judge would say, play tape 13. And then this big TV comes on, and there's the person driving by the school bus, and they just get up and walk out. Like almost every time, they're just like, who do I write a check to? Because you, you caught me dead to rights. Playing dumb is never a defense against breaking the law. Oh, you're not supposed to drive 110? I didn't see it, a, a, a thing posted right outside of the school there. <laughs> see, he defined for us in, in chapter 5 some sins. These are the works of the flesh, evident works of the flesh, he calls them. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Are you capable of recognizing these sins in your spouse? Now, the one that's really, I mean, awkward for people these days is especially sexual sins for women. Because most people, right, men are so ridiculously obvious with their sexual sins, it's kind of hilarious how bad we are in this category. And what ends up happening is that it's so out in the front of culture these days is that a lot of women like to think they don't have any sexual sins. But they do. And I can tell you from the years that I've been counseling, they are actually really hard to detect. They are really hard to detect because men and women are different. But he doesn't say men and then lists the sexual ones, and then say, oh, and then the ladies have these problems. He doesn't differentiate between men and women. This is a list for everybody. Strife, jealousy, impurity, sensuality, envy, drunkenness, orgies. Now, I'm going to just pause on that one. That's how they translate that word, but it just means sexual debauchery in general. right? I don't think most people in our modern culture, in Christian, anyway, I'm done. I'm moving on. But can you detect a rivalry A sinful rivalry in your spouse. Jealousy. Can you detect strife? Do you know? Do you know? Are you studying them? Are you getting to know them? Are you thinking about them and what they're doing and how they're doing it and what you, right? What it's actually called. You can't play dumb. Well, well, you know, all those years, all those years, I didn't really know that that's what they were doing. You heard him talk about his boss every day for 10 years, and now you're coming in here wondering why he has authority problems. I'm sorry, you've been listening to the authority problems for 10 years. What did you ever say to him about it? Oh, nothing. You, right? Ignorance is not a defense. So what does it mean to be spiritual? Well, he goes on and explains that. Galatians 5.16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. A few verses later, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who are spiritual restore someone caught in sin. Right? You catch them in sin. And now how many of you ever catch the spouse in sin and go, boom, gotcha. I'm about to dunk the ball on this moron. Right? Now, oh, Mike, nobody ever thinks that way. No, why, why is it that when you're really pleased with them and they sin, it's easy just to overlook it? Right? But when they really sin, you want to go after them for it. It's usually because they've gotten to you personally, right? You're irritated with them. You're not gentle. You're not 
you know, kind. They've transgressed and they've annoyed you. And you're irritated and now you've got them right where you want them. Because there's these little power struggles that go on in marriage. Someone who's spiritual, someone who's not irritated, somebody who's not looking to score one over on them, somebody who's not just self-righteously, right, on their high horse, a spiritual person needs to be the one who restores them. You're disqualified otherwise. Now, you have to restore them, so you have to get qualified. If you are angry, and there the sin is, be quiet. Stop. Walk away. If you are irritated with your spouse or your brother or your sister or your coworker or a fellow Christian and you are all worked up, stop, stop. Walk away. Get right with God, right? Take the log out of your own eye. What is a spiritual person? A spiritual person who's, is a person walking by the Spirit who's exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit. When you read your Bible, this is, this is now going back to what I said at the very beginning. When you read your Bible... And, and you're learning about Christ and you're l- learning about yourself and you're seeing how humble you should be because of how much Jesus has done for you, how unworthy you are, and yet he loves you anyway. When you're staying in the word of God and you're staying in prayer, you are staying humble. The spirit is working on you. you you're walking by the spirit and you're in a spiritual state and that person then sees a sin and says, okay, I'm going to go after the sin. Too many of us see the sin and go after the person. That's what marriage does. And in marriage, this is what we do all the time. Yeah, you spent money that you said you were going to spend. You know why? Because you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah, you would dress like that, wouldn't you? Right? And then you start attacking the person. Well, let's deal with the fact that, right, let's get spiritual. Why might your wife be dressing inappropriately? What might that have to do with you, homie? What might that have to do with you? That she feels like she's got to dress that way in order to get attention from men. No, 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 no. You just want to go after her. You want to go after him for his anger. Why is he so frustrated and angry? Why is, he, why, why is that? Is, is, is there someone he's living with that might actually be doing that to him? <laughs> right? Matthew chapter 7, verse 3 through 5. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own? Deal with yourself first. Spiritual people are people who deal with themselves first, who are coming to the crisis, coming to the sin, coming to the problem, knowing that they are a saved sinner, that they are humble in their, and gentle and kind and loving and self-controlled, Right? That's a spiritual person. That person can restore someone. I'll ask you a question. How often have you not been walking by the Spirit, you're irritated, and you go to restore somebody, and it just makes it worse? Can we all testify? You're like, okay, well, okay. you just took their sin and you doubled down on it, right? And then, of course, they, they responded spiritually to your not right? No, of course not. Then they responded, and then, and then it's a boxing match. Spiritual boxing match. If it's an actual boxing match, you guys need a lot more help. But you know what I'm talking about. A spiritual person restores because a spiritual person is interested in the gospel. Now, this is how I'm going to end here. This, This is what this is all about. 
marriage is between a sinner and a sinner. Right? And, and, and this is marital Phariseeism is what you see all the time. When, when I go and I meet with a couple and there's this person who's read all the books about marriage, they've listened to all the conferences, they know everything about marriage, I don't even need to prepare because I just sit down and they tell me everything that I need to say and do to the other person. <laughs> You're like, oh, you presented, you have notes for me. You have all the, all the, all the marital counseling notes I need to fix your spouse. That is awkward. And I'm not, I mean, people come, they're like, yeah, I have a suggestion. You know, I was at this conference. This is what I heard. He's a real, you know, he runs his mouth. Like you're running your mouth right now? This is marital Phariseeism. Somebody who thinks it's them. Now, the other kind of marital Pharisee is the person who's never studied marriage at all and still thinks they know everything, (laughs) right? They still think they know everything. And, And these kinds of people, this is what I was saying earlier about when it really comes down to it and things are ir- just, we can't fix this, it's because somebody isn't an actual Christian. They really don't get it. They don't believe it. Because Pharisees of every stripe miss heaven by 18 inches. They always miss heaven by 18 inches. The distance between the head and the heart. Right? That's all, that, that's all it takes to miss heaven. And you see this in marriage, because in marriage, what they want is they want to score on the other person. They want, to get the, they want to get the upper hand on the other person. They never want to deal with anything themselves. It's never them. It's always, it's never them. It's always them. And, and this is just like parenting. You're in this boat rowing in the same direction, and the captain is Jesus Christ. What you need and what they need is Jesus Christ. And if you ever have marriage problems and the problem isn't the sin that Jesus covers, then you don't even understand what's going on in your own marriage. You don't. If the problem is you're sitting down, they have a problem, that spouse of yours, you don't, but they do, and we're here to work on that, you are as far from heaven as it gets. How do two people become one? How do two people share a home? How do two people share a bed, share a life, share everything, become one flesh? And in that situation, how is it always just them? It never is. It never is. And unless you're willing to realize you're part of the problem, you're never, ever, ever going to be able to help them. You're never going to be able to do anything for them. James chapter 5, verse 20, this is what it says. Let, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. What covers sin? We want sin covered up, don't we? Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, let's put on these little leaves. Let's cover up our shame, cover up our sin. We want sin covered. And so we cover it up with all kinds of things, with drinks, with a nice house, with good jobs, with more overtime. We cover, we fill, we try to fill our lives because there's all these gaps between a husband and a wife because they don't realize that they are both the problem. And and the solution for both of them is the same, Jesus. Do, Do you want to restore this person? Do you want this person not to be caught in sin? If sin is the enemy, you should never have marriage problems. When, when the sin ceases to be the enemy and your spouse becomes the enemy, there, there is, unless you correct that, there is no hope for you at all. 
The hope is Jesus Christ. The hope is I know what kind of person I am, and I'm not even, right? It doesn't matter what kind of person they are. I know what kind of person I am, and I'm going to approach the problem from that. We have a common enemy, and we have a common savior. And if that's not the way that you're dealing with the issues in your marriage, just stop. Stop trying to deal with them. Get help. Get help quickly. The only way to overcome sin is Jesus. What is going on in your marriage is sin. It's sin. It's not fill in the person's name. That's not the problem. The sin is the problem. You've got to deal with the sin. If you want to deal with the sin, this is what you do. It's as simple as this. Now, this is not rocket science. It's just counter to anything that we understand in our own natures. There, there you guys were, out and about, and the sin occurred. Okay, in a nanosecond. Boom. Just like that. Now, how quickly can that sin get fixed? If your answer is weeks, <laughs> then you're a person who collects clutter. If it takes days and weeks to deal with sin, you're, you're, you're a person who's filling your house with clutter. It took nanoseconds to do the sin. It takes nanoseconds to cover the sin. Right? And if you do this all the time, the problems don't get out of control. The problems don't start filling up your garage. You're a sinner and they're a sinner. And the thing that you both need is Jesus Christ. So you sit down with them and you say, listen, the sin you committed was this. This is the sin. This is what it's called. I can, I can take you right here to the word of God and I can show you where it is. Now, if you can't do that, be quiet. Sitting down with them and saying, you know, you're always a jerk. <laughs> Right? Yeah, you, you sit down with the wife. You never stop talking. Uh, okay, well, that is, there you go. Off to the races you go. No, you sit down with the person like, listen, you told a, you, you lied. You told a lie. When? On this day at that time. Boom. There's the sin. You, you, can, you can call it what it is. And then what do you do? Now, the person then responds with what? All kinds of excuses. Okay, well, now here's just the, a, a big bag of sins we can deal with. Now, how many people really, if they're in a state, in a good state, a good state in their own hearts and minds, are going to be confronted with that and not just say, I, please forgive me? Right? What I like about it is, it, this is the pressure comes on what you really believe. Right? You start self-justifying. Start excusing. No, if the person... Right? And then the, the spouse who's confronted them now has all kinds of things to deal with. Amen. Amen. <laughs> because change is the point. Call the sin what it is. Be very specific. In, in this, in, and then what, though? What have I already said? Do you come angry? You, you lied. You lied because you're always a liar. And it was yesterday when you lied and last week when you lied. No. You get yourself right. You get yourself right, and you go to them with gentleness, and, and, and with a spirit of gentleness and meekness. Say, listen, I know how easy it is to lie. I know how easy it is when, when there's somebody there and you want to look cool, when there's somebody there and you want to impress them, when there's somebody there and you don't want to admit what you did. I understand how easy it is, and, and, and this is what you did. Now, see how that goes. That, that's, like, that, that's the sweet spot, baby. That's the gospel in a marriage. When there's no arrogance, no pride, nothing but humility, 
calling the sin what God calls it and dealing with it. I forgive you. Jesus forgives you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the gospel and what the gospel does. The gospel has power. And I pray, Lord God, all of us, we know that Jesus came because the condition